Welcome to the Humans and Earth podcast. We bring you inspiration and practical resources for healing our planet and ourselves. It's time for soulful contributions that regenerate life on Earth. I'm Shara Arman, a thought leader and teacher who believes we're ready to renew Earth and heal ourselves in the process. You can find our work online at humansandearth.com and on Instagram at schoolhumansearth. I'd love for you to be on our newsletter list and receive our updates on Instagram. Please share our work at the School for Humans and Earth with anyone you think might be interested and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast so that we can include more and more people in the regeneration revolution that I believe is happening on planet Earth. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome back to Humans and Earth. This is Shara Arman, and I am happy to be here with you today talking about something that seems really important to me right now. And you're going to hear me talk about it in various ways from various angles. As you can see, I've titled the episode How to Stand Tall Instead of Shrinking in These Times. And I'll just jump right in. As you've heard me talk about many times, whether you believe our world is healing or floundering toward disaster depends on which evidence you notice. So you can check out my guide to informed optimism and previous podcast episodes featuring good news if you want help considering which markers of the state of the world are more true or more worthy of our attention, because we don't necessarily have to argue about what's true and what isn't. Probably what is most important here is discerning which factors, which evidence is more worthy of our attention, which body of evidence, if we give attention to it, is going to help us and others heal and benefit our world. Related to all this, I want to bring your attention to our choice to either wilt or stand tall in the face of all that's occurring in our world. I'll describe the two options, then offer suggestions of how you can make the choice that you feel is wisest and most helpful. I'll then tell you why I think it's very important right now to be distinguishing between what I call 20th century sustainability viewpoints that are now outmoded and were only moderately or even minimally successful, and what I call 21st century regenerative viewpoints that are deeper, more inclusive, broader, and have the potential to transform life on this planet into tremendous flourishing. As we face a continual news stream of indicators of national and international political conflict, worrisome environmental and economic indicators, and stories of people's cruelty to one another, some people are wilting. Wilting into anxiety, pessimism, depression, blaming others, or making dire predictions. 
Predictions, by the way, are odd things because as history shows, human beings are not omniscient. Variables often change and many predictions turn out to be dead wrong. So be watchful when you hear a prediction of disaster. No, it's not necessarily going to turn out to be true. And even if it's based on evidence that seems reliable, very often humans have been able to change the course of history to change the outcome by looking at a problem and choosing the highest possible response. So back to wilting. People who wilt also may choose an angry defensive posture as a response to fear and uncertainty and instability. These are the people you hear blaming others for being wrong or being the enemy, whether in politics or in handling environmental or social issues. This blame and othering brings an energy of fight, war, or tug of war that is not ultimately productive. Polarizing and othering rarely leads to healthy, collaborative, inclusive solutions. While some people are wilting and collapsing, others are standing tall. These are the people I feature in my Good News episodes on this podcast. These are the endeavors I talk about in my Guide to Informed Optimism, and also in my Guide to Healing. These are the people who are collaborating to create recovery on the burnt coast of Maui, recovery that is just and maintains space for Native peoples and former residents, whatever their income level. People who are standing tall and strong are the ones creating regenerative agricultural solutions that can feed the world while healing our climate, soil, air, and sister brother species. Those who are standing tall are the ones sharing food from their gardens, offering comfort to those who are anxious, making donations to relief efforts when they can, switching their home electricity provider to a company that generates via wind and solar. And by the way, certainly here in the US, in a lot of states, it's possible to stick with your electricity provider, but sign up through them with a company that is providing renewable energy. These people who are standing tall, they're engaging in any of thousands of ways that help create renewal, regeneration, and healing. Standing tall, of course, does not mean that you never wilt. Not at all. Everyone wilts at times. What's important about standing tall is that it's a choice you can make and it's a stance you want to be in as much as possible, ideally most of the time. We badly need more and more people to choose the standing tall stance right now. Note that it is your free choice to discover what standing tall means for you personally. Here are some ways to define it and you can probably think of others. Standing tall can mean knowing what you believe to be true and what your own strengths are and holding strong in those, but strong in a flexible way with a focus on contribution, not on being defensive or right or better than others. Strength can appear as various energies, deep compassion, fiery leadership, incisive insight, potent kindness, visionary planning, nurturing life without getting depleted yourself, teaching others a kind of wisdom or skill they desire to learn. There are so many forms of strength. Strength can show up as patience that doesn't shrink but holds steady. Sometimes strength shows up as the choice to rest or ask for support, to set a boundary, to be quiet, 
to listen to others. Strength has many forms and you can define it for yourself, but it's not depressive wilting and it's not angry defensiveness. It's not giving up, accepting defeat in our human earth project or adding to polarization and conflict. The posture of standing tall and strong is creative, heart-based, and courageous. One thing I think we can all do better is to realize that our attitude, our posture toward life, the energetic stance we're taking is one that we choose. Yes, we can let it just happen to us, but we also have the ability to choose it. Here are three suggestions for exploring this. One, notice, notice, notice. Notice whether you are wilting or standing tall as you face your own life and the circumstances of our world. Notice the energy, perspective, and assumptions you are bringing to the world and whether they incline you toward shrinking back and wilting or stepping forward in whatever loving contribution is your version of standing tall. Number two, once you've noticed whether you're wilting or standing tall, ask yourself how that feels. If it feels good, aligned, harmonious, then you're all set. But if it feels somehow uncomfortable or undesirable, then number three, experiment with a different stance, a different internal posture until you find one that feels wise and helpful for yourself and others. It's your call whether and how you want to wilt or stand tall. If you're already standing tall and you want to stand taller, you probably see how to do this. If you're wilting and you want to try standing tall, you could read Dr. David Hawkins' classic book, Power Versus Force, which talks about different frequencies or postures or stances we take toward the world. You could experiment with simply choosing to feel optimistic and trusting for even a few minutes to practice being in that state. My good news episodes are designed to help you do that. My guide to informed optimism is designed to help you do that. Choose some particular way that you want to stand tall. Maybe helping in your home area with a conservation endeavor, a project that helps animals or plants or people in need, or creating a service that contributes in a way you feel the world needs. Anything that is beneficial, helpful, and ideally collaborative and regenerative is a beautiful version of standing tall. And if you'd really like to delve into collaboration with nature, my course guiding you on how to do that is available. Choose the endeavor of practicing standing tall and if you see any success at all, feel encouraged and keep going. If this feels really hard, you're welcome to contact me for a coaching session. I now want to give you some further examples of what it means to either wilt or stand tall in this time that we're living in on planet Earth. This past spring, I had the opportunity to hear some of North America's foremost leaders on climate speak at an event. There's no point in naming names because what I want to share is about wilting versus standing strong and tall. But I'll note that these speakers are very prominent authors who are often cited as experts on our climate situation. What made me sad as I listened to them was that many of them were sad and disheartened. 
From a stance of wilting, they were offering the wilting posture to the audience rather than offering guidance on how to stand tall as a creative, visionary, collaborative presence in our world. One said, I have a dim view of hope, and then explained that only people who are not really engaged with climate issues are hopeful. They can only be hopeful because they are ignorant and naive. As you might know if you're a listener of this podcast, I disagree entirely with that stance, and I actually think it's not only inaccurate, but also harmful. I wondered as I listened to these speakers what point there is in talking authoritatively about all the reasons things look bad. What is the point of that? While I don't favor war as a solution, I think back to the example of World War II because I know that when the Allied forces needed to defeat Hitler's Third Reich, Allied leaders didn't achieve victory by talking about defeats, casualties, destroyed cities and lives, or how strong the Axis armies were. They achieved victory over an evil government by focusing on strength, moral conviction, and whatever victories they could count as victories. I'm not sure that you can find any examples of truly meaningful achievements that were based on sadness, defeat, pessimism, and hopelessness. So isn't it irresponsible for so-called climate leaders to try to lead from this stance of wilting? As I listened to these supposedly expert speakers, I found myself wondering what is the contribution in showing off one's knowledge about the many measurements of social injustice and environmental devastation if you cannot at the same time be a leader who points listeners toward creative, wise, collaborative, and regenerative solutions. Those exist all around us. Read Paul Hawkins' books or websites, Drawdown and Regeneration, if you want a couple of hundred examples. So why are we listening to famous people giving talks about how desperate things appear when instead we could read Drawdown and Regeneration and find our own way to stand tall in service to collective healing on this precious planet? Other questions in my mind as I heard these speakers were, how dare any of us have the hubris, the mistaken pride, to believe that human civilization doesn't change and can't change? The entire history of our species is one of continual change, development, evolution, and up-leveling. How dare any so-called expert or leader talk only about what is severely discouraging and fail to help others see how we can choose a better pathway together? How dare anyone fail to believe in all that is good in humanity? How dare anyone fail to believe in nature's regenerative capacities? How dare anyone ignore the millions of people globally who are engaging in millions of actions that nourish other people, animals, plants, and ecosystems, and endeavor to create beneficial social, economic, and political change? When Paul Hawken tried about a decade ago to count the number of global nonprofit endeavors seeking to improve conditions on Earth, he happily had to give up because these endeavors are so numerous all over the world that it's impossible to count them all. And he had a team of researchers endeavoring to help him. How dare anyone disregard 
this massive global endeavor to serve and help and choose a wilting posture of despair, when instead we could be so inspired by the literally, it's not only many millions, but it's almost definitely billions of people around the world who are extending themselves to assist one another and the natural world. They deserve our posture of standing tall, in my opinion. We can all notice the recent climate justice legal cases being brought forward by teenagers, college students, and senior citizens, and wonder why midlife adults seem to be wilting more than leading. In a recent case in the US state of Montana, a group of young people claimed the state's fossil fuel policies are a danger to their health, and the judge recently agreed setting a precedent that analysts are saying could be game-changing. I'm sure people of various ages were involved in the case. This is standing tall instead of wilting. Another way that I would like to invite you to think about standing tall versus wilting is to distinguish between what I think of as 20th century versus 21st century responses to sustainability and regeneration. In my view, many people around the world are still holding to 20th century views, so the distinction remains really important. And I'm gonna sketch out a number of ways that I see this distinction or contrast. 20th century responses to sustainability have focused on measurements of all that is wrong in our environment, advocating tweaks that have been inadequate, and describing sustainability as difficult and involving sacrifice and struggle. I see 21st century approaches as emphasizing regeneration and the ways it can benefit everyone and create ways of living that are more joyful for people as well as nourishing for plants, animals, and ecosystems. These views help people see that caring for Earth is caring for ourselves and it's not a sacrificial path, but a delightful one. 20th century responses have been hierarchical and dictated by so-called experts who have typically been white men. 21st century approaches are being led by people of every race, ethnicity, gender, nationality, and affiliation. Because people around the world are realizing that while the knowledge of intellectual experts can be valuable, only local people truly know their environments and cultures and what is needed, feasible, appropriate, and desirable in their community. 20th century sustainable viewpoints assume that the developed industrialized world is in charge and technological change is what's needed. 21st century regenerative viewpoints assume that regenerative sustainability needs to be chosen in each region of the world in ways that are appropriate to its geography and culture and that it's profoundly collaborative and foremost that a change of hearts, attitudes, and understandings about the human role on earth is primarily what is needed. We are beginning to understand that restoring life on our planet starts in our hearts, not with our technology. That's not to say that the technology is unimportant. 20th century approaches often have been tweaks. They've put forward the idea that we need to fix how we produce energy and everything else can stay the same. 21st century approaches think in terms of major systems change, 
so that humans return to living in environmentally sustainable and regenerative ways while also creating social and economic systems that are life-nurturing and inclusive rather than hierarchical and exclusive, leaving many people and species at the bottom or on the margins. 21st century regenerative approaches aim at systemic transformation for whole planet healing. 20th century approaches see sustainability as something undesirable that we have to do. 21st century regenerative approaches see it as an invitation to enter into an era of flourishing that we co-create together. 20th century approaches assume that when you show people the numbers on climate and either scare them enough or persuade their minds, they'll do the right thing. So far, that hasn't very much happened. 21st century approaches are founded in the belief that when you help people fall in love with humanity and the earth and their own wellness, they'll absolutely do the right thing. Again, it starts in the heart and with a change of perspectives, beliefs, and values. 20th century approaches emphasize danger and threat. 21st century approaches emphasize our opportunity to revitalize life on our planet. They are grounded in the inspiring possibility of creating extensive thriving. 20th century approaches emphasized solving our energy and climate problems. 21st century approaches continually acknowledge that deeply and regeneratively solving our energy and climate problems also can and needs to address socioeconomic inequality through the adoption of solutions such as regenerative agriculture, local energy economies, and job training in regenerative technologies such as wind, solar, and local food production. 20th century approaches have been disciplinary and harsh, sometimes shaming people and creating an us versus them mentality regarding those who are doing the right thing and those who aren't, those who get it and those who don't. 21st century approaches are an invitation into transformation and greater thriving, an inclusive invitation that welcomes anyone who wants to participate. Anyone and everyone with vision, skills, or interest is welcome, or anyone who simply wants to learn and participate. 20th century sustainability approaches activate our limbic, fear-oriented brain and can leave us feeling scared, helpless, and hopeless. Arguably, they create a posture of wilting for many people. 21st century approaches speak to our wiser forebrains and their ability to consider calmly, plan, be inspired, be creative and innovative, and collaborate with others. You might be able to add to this list, and I really encourage you to do that. Look out at our world and notice endeavors, systems, and ideas that seem to you outmoded. Perhaps they were well-intentioned, but we need to grow beyond them. Look for ideas and systems, innovations, approaches, assertions that are focused on regeneration, on inspiration, on solutions that are win-win-win without leaving anyone out. 
that are inclusive, and that most of all, inspire a posture of standing tall and strong so that we can collectively bring our massive human passion, love, creativity, innovation, and cooperative abilities to up-leveling, growing, transforming our ways of living on this planet for the flourishing of every being, every species. I hope this episode has helped you consider whether you're wilting or standing tall right now, which aspects of our culture encourage you to either wilt or stand tall, and how you might explore standing taller and stronger. I hope I've invited you to notice the difference between outmoded approaches to sustainability and exciting approaches to regeneration of all our systems for the good of all species and our planet. Thanks so much for listening. If you have questions or comments, you are welcome to email me at support at humansandearth.com. Thank you for listening to Humans and Earth. Please share this episode to broaden engagement in the regeneration our world needs. You'll find social media links in the show notes. To explore our other offerings, visit www.humansandearth.com.